1: soda is one of the worst offenders in the modern industrial diet 40 grams of sugar in a can no fiber no nutrient diversity so flipping that and saying well what if we could retain the experience because giving up soda is really hard which we understand i mean can and coke is pretty pretty delicious it's addictive it's convenient it's cheap and it has really strong cultural relevance in our lives as well so what if we could retain that, but give people a product that actually supports their health rather than harming it?
0: What if I told you the hottest health drink on the market isn't a green juice or kombucha, but a delicious fizzy soda? On this episode, we're pleased to welcome David Lester, the co-founder of the healthy beverage company, Alipop, which makes tasty sodas enriched with fiber and prebiotics to support healthy digestion. Tune in to hear David explain the science behind the product and how he and his co-founder, Ben Goodwin, have made Alipop the fastest-growing refrigerated beverage in the country. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot content management system made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready to use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Well, David, it's, it's good to have you for sure. On the way in this morning, wanted to make sure that I represented correctly, and I actually haven't had this flavor yet. Nice. Today was the first, and ginger lemon for the win, bro. I was already a fan of the the top ones like orange cream. You I know, mean, big fan of the classic root beer, right? These are ones that a lot of people know. Strawberry vanilla, they're kind of my go tos. But I, I typically I had been passing this one up at Whole Foods. I was like, man, eh, I don't know about this one. Today, I wanted, I wanted to venture out and try a new one, and and now I'm like, okay, we're buying this for the house, so. Cheers to you again, man. You guys continue to nail the flavor profile of uh, some really good beverages. And for me, who is like very bullish on my microbiome, right? And healing that and restoring that, like been a, fan, been a fan for a while. And so it's cool. It's just cool to connect with you. So thank you for being here.
1: Amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. The ginger lemon is one of the OG flavors. Those okay. three we launched with um, cinnamon cola, ginger lemon, strawberry vanilla. And uh, so yeah, it was in those initial group of three.
0: Yeah, and there's a, there's one that the crisp, I think it's like the crisp apple. I have not
1: I, had. That's only just come out. See, I
0: haven't <laughs> had that one. I'm like, when are we gonna, you know, Whole Foods. I know you listen to this podcast, Whole Foods. We, we need to get the uh, crisp apple in the downtown Austin location immediately. <laughs> so <laughs> let's start with just kind of the stages of of growth, right? I mean, you this company's been around since 2017, 2018. As you know, being a co-founder and entrepreneur, it's, it is a full-contact sport. Um, even though you have some great experience understanding this category, and you know, you, if anyone looks you up, they'll see this guy's got a deep, deep understanding there. And doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to be rainbows and unicorns. You know, as you jump off an Olipop. So take us through just kind of like. The stages of how, you know, where the company, what, you know, from the initial start with you and the other co founder, and to kind of where is the company at now? What stage are we at now? What challenges are you solving right now? What's, yeah, the most exciting thing happening? Kind of take us from the beginning, stage wise, maybe big, high level, like big challenges along the way that you've had to tackle, and then take us to today. Like what's happening in the business today? And what stage would you say the business is at?
1: Yeah. I mean, Ben and I really look at our business as kind of a 10 year venture. Because OB, uh, our first company, was really version 1.0 of what we're doing now. And it was a really important step in the process. So people do look at what we've done with Olipop, and it, it has been very rapid growth, but it's built off the mistakes and the learnings of of our first venture. So Ben and I yeah got together kind of 10 years ago. I just left a corporate career very naively, sort of with a idea that I wanted to do something by myself but not really sure what that was. I moved to San Francisco with my fiance at the time, now wife. And I was actually put in touch with Ben by my old boss at Diageo. When I told her I was quitting, she said, okay, if your mind's made up, you might want to speak to this guy. He's looking for a business partner. And I met Ben at a, a coffee shop in Palo Alto. He had a bag of sodas with him that he'd made in soda stream bottles and hand decanted them into glass bottles and hand capped them. And I didn't know really anything about the microbiome, probiotics, digestive health. I think at that time I, I probably couldn't even read a nutritional label uh, particularly well. And then I spoke for kind of two hours. I tried the drinks; they tasted amazing. I knew enough to know that a drink with that much sugar in it shouldn't taste as good as it did. Wow! And I was just kind of blown away by his passion for digestive health and his knowledge as well. And so. I worked with no salary alongside Ben for kind of a year or so to get that business off the ground. We had about three years crashing through hedges, making a ton of mistakes. We managed to get a modest exit from that and a lot of learning. And then a period of self-reflection, actually, it's very difficult coming from the corporate world into startup. And it's very difficult as an entrepreneur scaling something up. And Ben and I both had stuff to learn. You know Ben is kind of scaling something for the first time, and from my side, really learning about entrepreneurship and what it means, and it, the behaviors are very different from what you are taught in a corporate environment. so I, it, it took me like a good three years and you know a lot of pain to to really get to grips with that. And then we had two years to reflect on you know the concept that we'd come up with and how we could refine it, and you know then launched Olipop after that two year period and it was very rapid growth from there. I think because we had something that we'd really thought through. And we'd also refined our partnership and done some personal growth and self-reflection and, you know, had the humility to say, look, if we're not in sync, then this thing is not going to work. And that was really key because we didn't work together that effectively on OP, in all honesty. We we argued a lot about stuff. And you know, we're just different people with different perspective. But both entrepreneurial, both strong-willed and I think that's where a lot of co-founding relationships fall apart inevitably because right. you're dealing with quirky personalities, people who are opinionated mm-hmm. and, you know, we we learned to respect one another and listen to one another and the value and also had the learn to be vulnerable with one another as well. You know, me saying, hey, I don't actually know... <laughs> This, what do you you think, and vice versa, and and know that the other person wouldn't overstep in that instance? So, you know, that was nearly four years ago now that we launched Olipop, will be, you know, 100 million revenue brand by the end of the year. We've moved from startup into scale up um, at this point. And I never thought about a differentiation or a definition, just like a startup, or you kind of exited, right? But it's very different now from where we were like even 12 months ago. You know, the process is required, the structure. We have a team of over 70 people now. That's very different from when there was like 12 of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ben and I have had to learn and evolve. And it's, it's tricky, you know, to think through what's my role as a co-founder now. It, it changes probably every six months or so. And mm. that's kind of true for the rest of the team too. Their roles are constantly evolving um, just given how rapidly the business is changing.
0: Wow. That's huge. That's awesome. Yeah, you said some some really interesting things in there. So I want to circle back to you launched Obi together, right? That was Obi. That's right. Learned some key things. And you said there was this two-year period. I kind of want to go back to that a bit. Like there's two years after Obi where and I love that I mean I just one love your vulnerability around how, you know, look, it wasn't easy with Obi all all the time. And we had to really Navigate. How do we work together and collaborate? And you could have both said, "Okay, that was a cool experience. We're still friends. Like, let's go, you know, onward and upward." But you took two years. You said some self reflection. I just want to know more about that two year period. Was it, you know, kind of both of you going your separate way and just coming back and being like, "Man, I I want this," and and did you want this too, or was it one person coming back to the other? What was that two year period like? That's really interesting.
1: Um, I think there was a period of. You know, some months after OB, where we just needed to rest. Like, I think for a lot of people, you know, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, and particularly the first time you're doing it, it's just exhausting. It really is. There's so much to learn. It's mentally exhausting. You probably don't have your ego in check. And and that's the thing that will will really exhaust you as well. It's just too much to absorb, really. And so we just need to rest for a minute. I, I was, you know, for that last period of OB, you know, I was. I'm not diagnosed, but I'm pretty confident I was you know, depressed during that period. I just couldn't function properly. I was just burned out. And so there was just kind of reset, get back to good behaviors, like get back to my family, you know, spend some quality time, sleep, reduce the stress. But then reflecting on that, we were like, look, this thing, we still really believe in the mission of this. This is important to get the benefits of digestive health to a broad audience. We feel like we're onto something because as the kind of, you know, acute pain of the entrepreneurial experience kind of drifts away, we did do some cool stuff as well. Like this product did kind of work pretty well in pockets. And, you know, we feel like we could do this better. We feel like we're better entrepreneurs. We feel like we can make this product better. You know, for Ben and I, I think one of the things we strongly align on is doing things well, like really thinking through stuff. So we weren't just going to kind of rush back to market with, with any old product. We were like, look, how we set the foundations of this is really key. Um, we need to do this properly. And Ben actually went to Japan for a period, did some research out there. We had connections to some of the leading researchers and microbiologists from our time on OB. And we started looking at the evolution in science around the gut microbiome. And at that time, what was really changing was this shift from a focus on probiotics to prebiotics. I know you said you're kind of pretty up to speed on this, but for anyone that isn't, probiotics are good bacteria, prebiotics are what probiotics eat. It's the food for the good bacteria. So you know, we actually, there's a guy out of Stanford called Justin Sonnenberg, done a lot of research in this space, and he had actually looked at hunter-gatherer tribes, some of which you'll still find in parts of Asia and Africa today, that eat a diet similar to what our ancestors would have eaten, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. And they found two major differences in that diet, between that diet and the industrialized Western diet that, that we uh, would typically consume. One is the quantity of fiber that they're consuming. Over 200 grams a day, we get about 15. And then the diversity of the food types. And a hunter-gatherer would consume about 1,400 different types of food in a year. We're close to 200, which makes sense when you think of like the hybridization in our food system. Everything's made of corn now, right? Like you get chips or whatever. They've, They've got different flavorings on them, but the base ingredients are the same. So we've essentially stripped fiber and nutrient diversity out of our diet, which is very bad news for our gut microbiome because those are two things it needs. It needs fiber, prebiotics. To feed the bacteria that are already there, and it needs uh, nutrient diversity to feed a range of different bacteria you know diversity is is a great thing in, in your gut, so you know Ben really started formulating around the product to address those issues, and that 's how we got to the sort of ollie smart base of eight different plant based ingredients, nine grams of fiber, and kind of flipping it's, it's interesting when you look at soda. I mean, soda is one of the worst offenders in the modern industrial diet, right? It's, you know, 40 grams of sugar in a can, no fiber, no, nu- no nutrient diversity, no nutrients at all, really, <laughs> apart from the sugar. So, you know, flipping that and saying, well, what if we could retain the experience? Because giving up soda is really hard, which we understand, you know, it's, we certainly didn't want to approach people with finger wagging or condescension. I mean, yeah, I like soda sweat. It tastes great, right? I mean, kind of coke is pretty pretty delicious. It's it's addictive, it's you know, convenient, it's cheap, it has really strong cultural relevance in our lives as well. So what if we could retain that but give people a product that actually supports their health rather than harming it? And that's what Ben set out to do and it did an incredible job on it. I mean, the thing tastes amazing. Yeah, you know, he does literally hundreds of experiments on each flavor and alongside all the work that he's put into the gut health component of it as well. It's it's really incredible.
0: Wow. What were some of those like, you know, top one or two big changes after OB? There were some things that you're like, okay, if we're gonna do this, you know, two years later, what are some of like the one or two things you're like, okay, this is what we're doing different?
1: I think from a product perspective, there's a lot of learning, right? We needed to make it more scalable. So we were using fermented water kefir not that scalable, delivering high cogs. We wanted to change the efficacy from probiotics to prebiotics. We found a better delivery solution. We went from a bottle to a can. And then in terms of us and how we approach things, I think, I mean, there's so many lessons, but one of the things that we lacked, which I think is common for first-time entrepreneurs is discipline and decision-making. So you often get kind of you know, you get a lot of choices thrown at you as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur. And some of them intuitively seem like very obvious yeses when they're actually no's. That is the most important thing. What you say no to is the key thing. And there was stuff the first time around that we were like, well, yeah, those courses make sense. Let's just do this, right? Or something that looks like a shortcut. Never any shortcuts. You know, you have to do the hard work. You have to say no. You have to stick to what you believe in. You know, we drifted on that. I, I think in our first venture, we made compromises that didn't feel right in our gut. And the second time around, we said, "Screw it! We're not making any compromises. We're going to do it this way, and we're going to kind of die on the sword." Essentially, because you see the alternative, you're like, "The alternative's no better." Like, if you make this poor decision, you guarantee your demise. It's just, it's just slower and more painful because your poor decisions compound in the same way as your good decisions compound. Mm. So you kind of have to go pretty close to the edge of the cliff in that game of chicken. Wow! But as a more experienced entrepreneur or entrepreneurs, we were like, yeah, we, we, know, we know it's worth going to the edge of the cliff and you, mm-hmm. d- you just get more comfortable doing that and holding the line. And that's what gets you to something truly incredible and allows you to stay on track with, with an entrepreneurial vision.
0: Yeah, that's huge. You know, and, and you know, we talk a lot on this show with executives in the Fortune 100, Fortune 500, and beyond. And you know, something that seems to be super important—it's not that this ever went away, but certainly today is just this ability to build trust and rapport with other executives, right? To be able to reach across the aisle and have that trust and have that rapport, because you're, you know, you're making decisions that have big impact, regardless of the industry, and so. I love that, you know, you and you know, your co-founder have been able to, yeah, like to find the way to dance together. You said it yourself. Look, when you scale a business from zero to seven figures, there's a lot of things that have to happen to get that, you know, to get to that point. Then when you go from seven to mid-seven to eight, there's a whole nother layer of infrastructure and operations and problems and challenges. Then you're scaling up from eight figures to nine figures as you guys are, you'll be crossing that period. It's a whole different beast. And you you said it well. You have to evolve over or you're you're maybe not the same person that brought you to ten million will be the same person or bring you to hundred million if you don't evolve and change. So you've also been able to evolve and grow alongside each other, which I think is a really a pretty strong testament where there's a lot of options out there. And you can you and him could have gone various ways and done different things, but you double down on each other. And here you are now, still at, you know, leading and supporting this this team of seventy plus people. And you've had to go through quite the evolution to to get here.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you know, good relationships challenge you in the right way. I can say that, you know, about my marriage as well. Like it's it's not plain sailing all the time, but it, it's, you know, you get the right level of tension and challenge. And I think a good co-founding relationship is, is like that as well. There's probably too much, uh, you know, challenge for Ben and I the first time around. Um, but, you know, we both matured and grew and you need someone that kind of calls you out or occasionally pushes your buttons in a certain way or, but with empathy and, you know, in a, in a supportive way too. So yeah, I, I really admire people that are sole co-founders. I think, I think it's a very difficult thing. Ben fills gaps for me. I fill them for him. Yeah, when you're using that conjoined brain, it's, it's very powerful, but it, it it is hard to get to.
0: Now, what about like, just in terms of, you know, support at this stage for you, you know, and Ben, Because like, look, again, you're now at the helm of a, you know, nine figure business and growing, you know, and you're there with your co-founder, but like, who's supporting you? Like, where are you going for support now that you're at this stage? Because it's not the same as when you first kicked this thing off in 2018. It's a whole different level. So do you feel like you have an ability to go and connect with other people and say, hey, you're also at, you know, nine figures and growing. And like, are you, you, are you having that? Are you still having to kind of build this, this jet engine in mid-flight, even at this level?
1: I think there's lots of areas of support. You can look to your own team for support, right? Um, I mean, the way that we approach leadership is with humility and vulnerability. So, it's like, I'm constantly learning from our team. I lean on our leadership group. That takes a lot of pressure off as well because you don't feel like you need to be this perfect leader, right? Um, I mean, we are sort of mantras around self-awareness rather than perfection. Um, So, yeah, I'm not a perfect leader, right? I don't show up. You know, amazing all the time. I don't make every decision perfectly, but I have the confidence that our leadership team will kind of someone will talk to me if I'm going astray, or call me out, or like approach me with some empathy. I mean, our chief of staff did on Friday. It made me think a lot over the weekend. She was like, "You got to change some things here and there." And I was like, "Oh, you're absolutely right." And um, you know, that's that's kind of helpful because you just it takes some of the weight off. You know. Then, yeah, you're right. There's other founders out there that, that's helpful. We have a really supportive board. You yeah, Monogram is our lead investor. Jared Stein sits on our board there. I think that's key, you know, having supportive investors. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to stick in the right headspace. You know, if you've got someone on your case the whole time, particularly someone in a position of influence within your business, which investors tend to be, someone sitting on your board definitely is, you know, that's just going to drain you. And Jared is kind of level-headed. He has his own ego in check. He is humble as well, you know, and he will come and when he doesn't know stuff and will kind of admit that. And we can have kind of proper discussions. You know, I think that's really important where you're able to kind of sit around a table and, and really kind of work something through as a group. That's key. And yeah, you know, I've worked in Corporate settings where that hasn't been the case, where you've got people kind of posturing or kind of trying to the one hand on top, right? It's like I'm trying to position myself as the alpha or whatever in this situation, so that I get to do the thing that I want to do. What we've created said, look, what we're doing is so hard, you can't afford to do that. You could get away with it in a corporate environment, you know, you can sort of push your will through on one thing and it probably turn out okay. In a startup like ours, what we're trying to achieve and how we're growing is just. You get caught out, so you really have to use the wisdom of the crowd.
0: Well, how do you view the category now? You know, look, I go into a store now. Of course, I'm I'm paying attention to gut health because I am a candidate, but it's also I just feel like it's it's more pervasive. It's loud now. There's so many more new prebiotics and probiotics, and there's now a lot of personalization happening. I was just sharing with our producers about this one app that I'm using called Flora or F L O R E, and where they'll You know, they send you a personal probiotic based on what you need and things like that. And so it's really interesting, but I just see so many new products entering the market. So many new products. The shelf space is growing, you know, next to Olipop at Whole Foods. You have just a lot of, you know, a lot of folks that are in this gut health world. Now, you've been in the space deeply since 20, well, before 2018, but do you feel like you have created your own category? What's your view on where the category is and all of these interesting products that are coming? Pretty hot, right into this market that you've been in for a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love innovation in my career at Diageo. About half of that of the decade I was there was new product development. So that was like developing and then launching new products, and most of them failing. And analyzing categories and what makes products work and what makes categories grow and succeed. It's really hard to do disruptive innovation, and yeah, you know, often it's kind of an evolution. So. Would we have been able to do what we've done as quickly as we've done it without kombucha? No, I definitely think not. You know, so brands like GT's, you know, first entered the market, and then you know, Health Aid and cavita that came after them created this kombucha set. Now that sort of introduced the idea that here's a fizzy drink that tastes pretty good if you you know are okay with kind of the vinegar profile that. Has a functional benefit to it that you know supports your digestive health, and that kind of does two things. It one introduces that kind of interim step in consumers' minds, and also it creates a space in the store. So when we went to retailers for the first time, we said, "Look, you've got a digestive health set, not a kombucha set, because you've got drinking vinegars in there, you've got Swizzles, all, all different kind of stuff. But if you go to CVS or Walgreens, and your consumer looking for digestive health." You're going to see prebiotics and fiber merchandise next to probiotics in a 50-50 ratio. You go into your store, you have zero prebiotic and fiber products. You're missing half the category. You should put Olipop in there and they did. That was our kind of opportunity to get into the set. I look at it now. I was looking at data last week. I think it's 85% of people that have bought Olipop had not previously purchased any product in the digestive health set. Wow. wow! So we're bringing a whole range of new consumers through, you know, price point, format, flavor profile, and inevitably what's going to happen, you know, anybody that has access to syndicated data, you'll see that we're the fastest growing refrigerated beverage in the US. And so, you know, people are going to be like, hey, what, I, you know, I want to be that as well. So let me, you know, this clearly is a successful thing. I'm going to launch one of these too. When we started, we really struggled for investment. People were asking us, why are you doing prebiotics? Because, like, probiotics is the trend, right? Everything was probiotic at that time. They asked us, why are you doing a soda? That doesn't make any sense. Soda is a dying category. Make it a sparkling water or something. And so I think that is the portion of vision required. You know, on Ben's part, he, was like, well, we're doing prebiotics because that is where the science is pointing. And so I don't really care what like, the trend is. This is the thing that actually is going to impact people's health. So this is what we're doing. And there was a couple of early investors, you know, Pat Finn from Think Capital, who were like, this is awesome and invested. But most people said no at that point. You know, in relation to kind of behaving like a soda, well, look, it's a $40 billion category. Kombucha is like $1 billion I think sparkling water. is four. It's, you know, look around you. Like people love soda. They have no issue with soda. It's just the sugar content is the problem. So you solve for that. A big lesson I learned from my innovation days, at Diageo is break one rule and break it hard. Keep everything else the same. So we aim to keep everything else the same. You know, the look of the can, the name is, it sounds like a soda brand the flavors root beer there's nothing complicated about that but we changed the ingredients that was it and and that was the one thing that we shifted and then we started behaving like a soda we did ice cream floats and things which a health and wellness brand had never done before we made it fun yeah and that's a model that people have now started to replicate across other categories which is great to see so yeah it's unsurprising to me that other people come into the category i haven't seen anyone unfortunately doing the same rigour in the scientific research that we do. We have a health advisory board led by Joe Petrosino, one of the lead guides on the Human Microbiome Project. We've done uh, research with Baylor and Purdue Medical Colleges to check that the product does what we say it does. And no other brand really across CPG has done that level of of rigor, which we think is key. So, you know, right now we have about 60% of this functional soda category And, you know, I expect us to kind of hold that or even increase it. Um, Just given, I think we win on flavor, certainly on the functional benefit we're delivering. And, you know, we seem to have a brand and a position that's really resonating as well.
0: You said 60% of what was the cat? What did you call it? Functional?
1: Functional soda.
0: Functional soda. So that is actually the name of the category called functional soda. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Basically, that's what's happening. People are launching Soda formats that have functional benefits to it. Wow! And uh, I think there's now, in the last four years, it's probably like north of 20 brands I've seen launch. Some of them very, very close to our, <laughs> our positioning and, and concept.
0: How do you navigate that part? Um, you know, you're seeing people you know, coming up with, better, like you said, it's close to your positioning, it's close to your profile. Do you like, Pay attention to those and like, you know, make sure that there's legitimacy or you are just kind of noticing that and still pushing forward. How do you, how do you broach that when those, those new, yeah, those new products pop up?
1: Yeah, as I say, there's kind of an inevitability to it, right? If you're doing, if you, if you're having success, you will get new entrants, which is totally fine. I think the two things, one is, you know, some of them are getting a little close from an IP perspective, which creates bank brand confusion, which, which isn't great. And the other thing, as I say, I think it's really important for this category to hold a standard around efficacy. But really, that's on us to ensure that we continue to lead the category. So you have to go and execute properly in store. You have to um, think long term about strategy to ensure that you retain that market leadership position. And you know, you've know, you got to keep working hard on all facets of your brand from positioning to flavor to you know, how you're marketing and stuff as well. And, you know, it kind of keeps you on your toes.
0: What was that first moment for you and Ben, the champagne bottle popping moment, right? Like, what was that moment of like, okay, this has now become something vastly bigger than what we had at Obi? You know, what, what was that moment in time? What was the inflection point there? And you and Ben were like, holy, you know, we got we have something here this is tremendous was market fit you know their sales are there but what was that what moment in time was that for you take us through that?
1: I think again one of the lessons from the first time around is I've smoothed out the journey a lot more. I was on like a roller coaster on the first time around right so a big part of that is not having your ego in check and so you essentially kind of build yourself up because you're lacking self-confidence and you're like I'm crushing that you going up on the roller coaster. And then something inevitably goes wrong, because it always does. And then you're like, oh my God, I just screwed everything up. And then you're down the bottom. And then you need to kind of build back up again. So Ben and I are probably bad at kind of celebrating moments too too much. We just we're always looking like what's the next thing. I felt very confident from the moment Ben developed this product. I mean, the ginger lemon you're drinking now. Like I tasted that out of a soda stream bottle when Ben was first formulating it. And I was like, Hey, this is this tastes amazing, and I trust Ben in terms of the research that he's done around how you know the efficacy of the thing, and you know we did have an initial brand design, which I actually ran research groups myself. I did twenty consumer research groups across Northern and Southern California, just off about two hundred bucks. I think I got like friends of friends to get groups of five to ten people together, bought them dinner at their house and asked them a bunch of questions about the concept and the name put packaging in front of them. And I could see that the packaging wasn't working. And so we actually redesigned the pack like a couple of months before launch after we'd, we'd raised our seed round, And our lead investor at the time was like, guys, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like, you know, let's just get this thing to market. It's great. And I said, look, I don't think this is right. We need to change it. And so we had to kind of shrink wrap cans to, you know, to get them to meet the timing for market. But that was definitely a pivotal moment, I think, that switch in kind of how the brand. And if you look back to the very bottom of our Instagram, you'll see the initial can designs you sort of left in there for posterity. But that was a guy, two guys based out of St. Pete's in Florida, just starting that agency. And I knew the sort of design style we wanted and how we wanted to position the concept. And they, did an incredible job with it. We still work with them today. So th- that was huge. But from there, you know, yeah, I, you've got to enjoy the journey because otherwise you won't have the resilience to hang in there. Sure, you get bumps, but they're kind of fun too because you learn from them and, and we're anticipating stuff going wrong. So it's been, it's been fun, the, the process, whereas the first one I, I really hated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got it. So obviously, you know, the company's grown you know quickly in the past year and change. You've acquired quite a stable of endorsers recently. And how do you feel that's affected the company's growth?
1: I wouldn't say it's like hugely affected it, you know, at this point. Celebrity is kind of a tricky one because I think consumers are very wise to, you know, people endorsing things, you know, unless you, the celebrity like actually owns the brand, I think holds a bit more gravitas. So we actually have said no to it. Bunch of people that we didn't feel like that heart was really in it. You know, one of the more interesting ones, Camila Cabello, that we've been working with recently. I mean, incredible person, really fits you know with our philosophy as a brand, and she just felt really passionately about this product and the mission. And you know, seen the impact of soda on her communities, and you know, wanted to invest in something and, and support something that was uh, going a different path. I think what's going to be really interesting in the future is to see. Where do celebrities place their endorsement? Because right now, you know, some of the fast food companies and soda brands, I mean, they have the budgets, right? We cannot pay the deals that those guys are paying. So on the one hand, I get it from a celebrity's perspective. Like, why should you take 20 times less money from Olipop to endorse something? But it's really encouraging to see people like Kamina who are uh, they believe passionately in something. And we're like, oh, this is cool. We're not the only ones. And so it really feels like a partnership where we're doing something together. That's been cool. So I think, you know, it will start to have more and more of an impact. And as I say, we've been pretty disciplined about, you know, the people that we work with and just making sure that they, you know, are kind of bought in and, in the right way.
0: How do you balance the, the challenge of educating people on like two important things? One, like the Ali, that Alipop tastes good and that it contains health benefits.
1: We don't do too much of the latter. Is, is the answer you know marketing is is a is a kind of it's a blunt instrument in a lot of ways i think it's getting more nuanced but you can only really do one thing super effectively i think or you should focus your energy on one thing so for us convincing people that this is not a compromise to soda that it tastes good that it's fun is much bigger challenge than convincing people this is good for them so will people understand that we have done research with Baylor and Purdue and that holipop increases diversity and you gut got microbiome and read our white paper? and I, no, I don't think I don't think many people are going to do that. But you know, they see that it's a better alternative, even a simple glance at the sugar content, two to five grams versus 40 to 70 in soda, you're kind of like, "All right, I got you. This is better for me." But it's going to taste bad because that's what health products is typically the case right? Or it's just not going to be as fun. They're going to start talking to me about digestive health. And I don't really want to talk about digestive health right now. I want to, you know, go and watch the Super Bowl halftime show or something. So, you know, for us, that's really where we're going toe-to-toe with the major CPG brands is stuff like where a product's grown, the founder's story, functional benefit. Those things are not irrelevant, but that's not the reason that people buy Oreos or Coke or... Captain Crunch or whatever—it's because of the way those products make them feel, and so that is our big challenge and something I'm super excited about. We'll be leaning into more next year, but you know what we've attempted to do in the way that we've behaved as a brand up to now is like make this fun. I'm gonna say, I mean, you know, when you tell people it's a, you know, if you were to describe to consumers, it's like it's a healthy soda. People are like. No, thanks. I don't, I don't want a healthy soda. I want like a delicious, fun soda. That's kind of what we're focusing on.
0: You know, I know that if I reflect on the you know, 2018 till now, there's been many kind of touchdowns. There's been many great, you know, experiences. There's one touchdown I want to ask you about in detail. Um, and that's you, you recently mentioned in another interview about how your orange cream flavor sold $30,000 in sales in like 30 minutes. Tell us about just the planning that went into that day and then how that unfolded.
1: Yeah. We started D2C at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of out of necessity. You know, we were gonna go into food service, that was shut down. It didn't at that point seem to make much sense to sell cans of water online, essentially, you know. (laughs) And the pandemic changed everything. And so we built this substantial D2C business. It was actually how we were able to sample consumers because we couldn't sample in store. And we became a bit of a D2C Darling, sort of brand to the point people would think we were a DTC company, and I'd be like, "No, over seventy percent of our revenue comes from retail. We're not, we're not like a DTC company, but we just, you know, hired some really passionate people um, who are awesome at what they do, and you know, we started to kind of test the boundaries of DTC marketing as well. I think we had a little bit more freedom because it wasn't how we were." Eating our lunch, you know, like we had the retail business, which is delivering the majority of our profits. So we could experiment around a bit. So, you know, we started to do limited edition flavors. We've done some since, like the Minions, which has been super fun. Those launch days are huge for us. We have a really passionate consumer base. They are excited when we launch new flavors, they know they're going to be delicious. So we actually use text as a way to tease the thing out. So if you're on our text platform, you get early access. And so you get a text. Sometimes it's kind of a, a message from Ben, and it'll be kind of quite u g c it 's him with his soda stream that he's made the thing in he's talking to you about you know how he made it and why he likes it and why he hopes you'll like it too there's a lot of empathy in what we do you know with our consumers we're like, look, we get it, we want to support your health we don't want to be condescending we're with you we 're all in this together. we get this product's addictive, but it's delicious and created something really awesome that we hope you'll love as well. And so yeah, those launch days are huge for us. And a ton of planning goes in from everything from our email team to um, yeah, retention and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of lot of planning goes in ahead of that uh, launch day.
0: Can you talk about just marketing trends like holistically in terms of like automation, you know, where where are you seeing the opportunity to use technology as you scale this business? It's growing fast. And then also, yeah, how do you view the whole the whole world and Olipop?
1: Technology is a super interesting enabler. You know, if you look at it in the DTC space, Boltons, like Hi allows, you know, 24-hour delivery in seven um, major metropolitan markets in, in the US now. I mean, you can order Olipop online on your phone and have it like at your door cold within like a couple of hours now, actually, which is pretty cool. So if you think about Coke's sort of put a, put a code within arm's reach of every American consumer. We've essentially done that in four years because of Ditsy, Omnichannel. Yeah, we're pretty agnostic about where you buy it and we want to make sure you get a great experience wherever you do, whether that's you know, buying someone like GoPro on our, on our own website, through Amazon, you walk into Walmart or Whole Foods. So, we don't get kind of too carried away with technology, it's just where we see it has an enabling benefit. We, we definitely lean in. There's lots of great things out there right now. But, you know, the fundamentals of business, the fundamentals of branding are, are the same as they've always been in my mind. And that's kind of quite reassuring. So, you know, you've got to make sure you have a vision for what you're doing, not getting too distracted by whatever the latest technology is that's coming out.
0: How much time do you think about making these experiences with Alipop, you know, bespoke in terms of this, like, personalized relationship with customers? And then also, like, widening the audience reach, right? Like, how do, you, how do you think about those two things?
1: Well, I'm glad you used the word bespoke because that's one I use with our team a lot. And they said, what are you talking about? What is this? Is this like a wheel on a bike or something? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do think about bespoke quite a lot, ironically. Yeah, I think it's a great question because I think that experience is everything, right? Like, I don't want to feel like I'm being marketed to. And one way you do that is to give people a bespoke experience, like really think about it. When you get an email, like don't just kind of mindlessly send something out. Like, what are you saying? Why are you sending me an email? What what value are you gonna offer? You can think about all those experiences. Like our CX team is incredible. There's I think all kinds of examples, but there's one where I think someone's house had flooded, there was flooding in the area that they were in, there were subscribers, so they canceled their subscription. Obviously, because the house was flooded, they didn't want to get delivered. So our team was like, sure, we'll cancel the subscription, but we'll also send you you know, like a mealchair house as well, because like you can't get food right now. So, you know, that's really key. Cause we want to create a company that is having net positive impact on community. I think more and more we're relying on businesses to fill gaps that that, you know, I mean, certainly growing up in Europe, I had access to a lot more social safety than I do here in the US. And you see how reliant people are on companies for healthcare and whatever else. So I think, you know, when we as we scale this thing, what's important, and this is back to the foundation, is like, what are we scaling? Are we scaling something that's is it massively damaging the environment? Is it damaging people's health? Or is it you know having positive impact on communities? So it's really important, I think, to think about that at each stage, because that is what you're gonna scale. I think it's got a lot of legs to go wherever we want with it. It's it's simple, right? It's just it's soda. (laughs) So It's a kind of proven concept. Um, Soda works very well in all markets around the world. And so provided you can kind of sit on top of the category and and we spend quite a lot of time actually really dissecting soda and understanding why do people love this category? What are they looking for when they're buying a soda and making sure that we are doing it? I think some of the marketing we're going to be putting out next year, I'm really excited about because we've been working on it now. We're doing soda marketing better than Coke does it at this point because we're thinking about it more. Um, we haven't got lazy. We're like, we got to be de- delivered the best soda experience to people. So we've done kind of hundreds of thousands of dollars of research against it to really, un- you know, spoken to tons of consumers, worked with, you know, a really top consulting agency called Squint to help us with this too because this, this stuff's important. You know, you don't get that right. Nobody's going to buy it, no matter how good it is for you. If, you. if you don't deliver on soda, it's it doesn't fit the category.
0: It's huge. Well, David, this has been an exceptional conversation. I, as a fan of The Beverage for a few years now, even before having the opportunity to come and connect with you on this show, like I, I've seen the growth of the brand personally. I've seen it grown in my city. And I see it in my friend group. I see it at our parties and our social gatherings. It's just become, it's part of what we get. It's part of what we do. That's a testament to what you have created. So shout out to you and Ben and the whole team, the whole Olipop family. Keep going. This was great. Thanks for being on Marketing Trends.
1: Thanks so much, mate. really appreciate that.
0: You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.